Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Friday. This is Seattle Now. This week, get ready for hordes of Purple Husky fans. The football team is on its way to the national championship. Sound Transit is considering fare gates to stop free light rail riders. And surprise, surprise, smoke and fog messed up the New Year's Eve celebration at the Space Needle. Freelance arts reporter Jazz Kaimig and Seattle Now producer Claire McGrain are here to break down the week. But first, let's get you caught up. Attention, Husky super fans! You can see the team off as they head to Houston for the national championship today. UW Athletics is hosting a team send-off this afternoon at Husky Stadium. Don't be late. The team leaves at 1 p.m. on the dot, so show up early if you want a spot next to Harry the Husky. The National Weather Service is predicting a huge dump of snow in the mountains over the next few days. The Cascades could see up to 18 inches by Saturday. Be prepared with emergency supplies and chains if you're headed over the passes. If you're in town this weekend, tuck in. It'll be cold, windy, and rainy in Seattle. Maybe the outside chance of a few flakes. And Microsoft is making it easier for its users to use AI. Starting this month, some new Microsoft PCs will come with a co-pilot AI button that launches the company's AI chatbot. Microsoft is a leader in AI thanks to its partnership with OpenAI, which makes ChatGPT. The last time Microsoft redesigned its keyboard, it added the Windows button in the 90s. Time will tell if this change sticks like that one. Here we are, the first Friday of 2024. Feels good. Hope you're staying healthy. Jazz Kaimig is here. They're a freelance arts reporter around town. Hey, Jazz. Hey, how are you? Good. So glad to have you here. Claire McGrain is in the house. She's a producer on Seattle Now. How's it going, Claire? It's going all right, although I am not staying healthy. I'm having my second cold in three weeks. Well, we did a show on that this weekend. You are a little stuffy. on the Claire side there. Don't tell people. They won't know otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you two. College football's got a new underdog in the race. And by dog, I mean D-A-W-G. The University of Washington Huskies have won their way to the college football championship. I checked in with sports superfan and producer Vaughn Jones, who says this kind of thing never happens. UW claimed national titles in 1960 and 1991, so this year would be in rare company. It was actually Dubs the Huskies' birthday yesterday, so happy birthday, Dubs. Aww. Woof, woof. I know. Who is the funnest, cutest part of the Husky team? So if you got three hours on Monday evening, plan to watch the dogs play Michigan on ESPN if you're inclined. Claire, Jazz, this is very exciting for our city. And I'm not foolish enough here to try to talk about Michael Penix Jr. other than to say he's an impressive player, but I am definitely down to cheer for the UW. Yeah, with the state of Seattle sports generally, it's really exciting when someone succeeds, I guess, other than (laughs) the Sounders and the Storm do fairly well, but, you know, the Seahawks, the Mariners, mm. (laughs) it's exciting to, to have a local team that is on such a big national stage and to just feel the energy of people feeling hopeful and feeling like they have a a thing to look forward to. Well, I think that that's the thing, right? You don't even have to love sports to get excited about the fact that the city can be excited about something right now. Claire, have you actually gone to a UW football game, like 
sat in the stands type because I know you went to YouTube. <laughs> yeah, so I have a, a a long kind of salty relationship with every <laughs> sports team of every school I've gone to that started in high school. But I do really like football. And I went to one UW football game when I was a student. First week in the dorms, like I went with all these people that I had just met whose names I now can't remember. But we went and sat in the student section and we were playing Stanford. And to my understanding, Stanford's decently good. I don't know if we were expected to win this game or what, but we did win the game. And it happened to be that the Husky Stadium was under construction the first couple years that I went to UW. So they were actually playing at what is now Lumen Field. And when we won the game, all the students stormed out onto onto the field where the Seahawks play. And that was the most exciting thing for me is I'm a lifelong Seahawks fan. So I got to walk upon the AstroTurf that many Seahawks players had been on. (laughs) All right. All right. That's cool. And then I decided I was never going to another game because I couldn't top that. (laughs) You peaked. Yeah. Your first game, you peaked the experience already. I love that. Yeah. I'm definitely, my brother played football through high school and college. So I feel like I have some sort of weird aversion to going to football games. But that being said, this past year, I have like really cherished being a bandwagon fan for sports, uh, just in general, like especially for the Mariners. So I'm going to take this opportunity of UW doing well to just hop right on that bandwagon, paint my face purple and, you know, howl at the moon. Uh <laughs> You know, Jazz, I love that, and I totally agree with you. I don't know what happened to me over the past few years, but I have totally been, like, I'm behind any sports team that's doing well in the city. I'm here for you, Seattle sports teams. I don't know. I'm a bandwagon fan, too. I've never been in the stands, but I have been across the cut, the Montlake cut there, watching from the Arboretum during actual Husky games. It is wild to see all the big boats in the Montlake Cut, all the boosters and the huge yachts out there. Lots of wealthy Husky fans. You I, I would love to watch from like a kayak. Like, I think if anyone listening. <laughs> You're in hell out there in a kayak. <laughs> yeah. No, if anyone listening has like extra room in their kayak for me to watch on Monday, I will meet you down at the docks and I am I don't understand football that well but I will be an enthusiastic guest in your kayak so (laughs) please anyone listening (laughs) I got my own kayak I want to be on the mega yacht I want to be on the mega yacht with a super rich husky fan yeah is, All right. is there anything quite as Seattle as catching a college football game in a huge, like, state-of-the-art stadium, but there's a beautiful waterway right there, and you can see the mountains behind it? It's a <laughs> cool spot. It's perfect. Well, we were just talking about rich Husky fans, and speaking of money, we got to talk about how much it'll cost to actually see this game in person. $900 for a nosebleed seat, $3,500 for a seat close to the 50-yard line. And the hotel and airfare, forget about that, to stay in Houston is probably off the charts right now. Here's what I want to know. Will you feel good about spending all this money if they lose? Is that, is it, like, I need to ask a real sports fan this because is it about Mm. going to the game? Yeah. I was going to say... I think it's totally worth it. I, I'm I'm not the biggest sports fan in the world, but my dad is a huge fan of the Glasgow Celtic. 
Um, and in very much in that tradition of European football, he spent his like teens and 20s and honestly, <laughs> much later in life, flying to all sorts of places to see them play with his friends and getting super drunk and hanging out in a different city. And I think the whole experience is worth it, even if they don't end up winning. It's like a bonding activity with loved ones. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I say if you're into it, go for it. Although I just bought a house and that is the price of a water heater <laughs> place. So yeah. you start thinking about things real differently. Well, and also yeah. I feel like it's a matter of like luck and superstition. Like I would love to believe that my presence is like a lucky charm, you know? So I, I, I think it'd be yep. worth it to spend that much if I, if I was that big of a fan for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you were fortunate enough to be one of the 7,000 people who snapped up free watch party tickets at the UW Alaska Airlines arena, You'll be in great company because that is the cheapest, best party in town Yeah, Mm -hmm. down at the arena. All right. Well, finally, if the UW does pull this off, there is likely going to be a parade. Do you have enough purple in your closet? (laughs) I do not. (laughs) This is one of my favorite things about the dogs, man. The colors? Yeah, the purple people all over the city. (laughs) It's so funny. They just out themselves every Saturday. (laughs) <laughs> I I had a guy come over and do some maintenance on something in uh, my house and he was wearing a UW sweatshirt and I was like yeah I have something to talk to you about great <laughs> how about those dogs um, I have one UW sweatshirt that I didn't even buy it was gifted to me and it is the most comfortable thing I own and I wear it constantly so I will have something to, to wear and I will go to the parade you know I can't turn yeah. down a parade that sounds great yeah either way you know Monday's trains are going to be packed with purple revelers Statistically speaking, though, you two, a lot of them won't bother paying the fare. True story, Seattle Times reports this week that for every two people who pay, one person does not. Which is why the Times reports Sound Transit will consider installing fare gates into light rail stations this year. That would do away with our current honor system that we have in place. Tap on, tap off, or in most cases, apparently just walk right on through. Mm-hmm. Have either of you seen the fare checkers? Until November, you're used to get let off with a warning, but there's a new system in place now, new enforcement. I I actually have it. A lot of my friends have reported seeing them like every single time that they get on, but I I have not. But just from, you know, word of mouth stories, it seems like a very um, inefficient way of trying to make people pay for the light rail and also just kind of like an embarrassing, awkward social interaction as well. Like when my friends told me recently, she watched someone trying to shake someone awake for like the whole ride, basically, or from stop to stop and it just doesn't really seem like the best way to um, intercept those who are not paying for the light rail i have never gotten fare checked i don't think on the light rail but i live in constant fear that i'm not going to scan my card properly which i think is really funny because i have a free (laughs) like (laughs) unlimited pass i'm so freaked out about it (laughs) i have seen the fare checkers quite frequently actually Mm -hmm. uh, before work and after work and Jazz, like your friend witnessed there, I have seen them try to shake people awake on the train. And it just it seems like such a silly system. Honestly, if I can get on a soapbox for a second, like I do think that people should be able to access transit for little to no money, especially if they're lower income. But there I am guessing a lot of people who don't pay could totally afford to and are like, oh, no one's watching me. Like, I don't have the social 
pressure and because it hasn't been enforced they haven't gotten that that negative feedback and a fair gate would be a really easy way to just have that sense of oh it's social etiquette like you have to tap to to get through i just think that it would make a big difference to have these fair gates that they're talking about jazz what do you think is that going to solve the problem (laughs) when i when i read the article uh or even just saw the headline i was like like it just it felt like (laughs) such a bummer you know Because, I mean, not me, but I have friends that believe, too, that, you know, public transit should be free. And they're just living in that reality um, by by not paying for it. And, I mean, I do understand that that is a way that, you know, sound transit can, you know, get funds that they need to, like, maintain um, the whole system. But I think building a gate and all of the kind of extra effort and money that comes with it when, you know, wait times between trains are getting longer, elevators, escalators are constantly broken, you know, it closes at, you know, pretty early, especially on weekends. It just feels like there's a lot of other problems um, that Sound Transit is currently facing that I feel like as a writer, as a frequent writer, I would prefer them to focus on rather than how to rewire stations that will inevitably, you know, close some for a while or just make writing Mm. the link even more frustrating. And, you know, the whole reason why they weren't enforcing, you know, fair checks during the pandemic was because it overwhelmingly targeted Black and unhoused people. And I imagine that a fair gate would probably target those same communities even more. So I I understand the need and the social etiquette for people to pay, you know, especially because it's like unfair if some people are paying all the time and others aren't. But I feel like it's just kind of a not not my favorite issue to focus on, <laughs> you know, at this moment. It's interesting because, you know, if this is the move, then what I mean, what are we really trying to solve for here? If right. it's just about mm-hmm. getting people to pay the fare. Sure. You throw Mm -hmm. in a turnstile, you're going to stop a certain amount of people, you know, who are not going to make the effort to be sneakier about it or whatever, get past it. But it is not going to solve Sound Transit's money problems. And actually, it's going to be pretty expensive to install turnstiles or fare gates. A report requested by Sound Transit estimates, according to Seattle Times, it will cost $104 million to retrofit 19 Seattle stations and six in Tacoma, but even higher because Seattle stations aren't equipped to install new wiring underneath. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. (laughs) What are we trying to solve for? What are we trying to solve for? Because that's the answer I really want. It's just so Seattle. I'm sorry. Like, this just, it just feels like, you know, our attention is like so on so many different things that I I feel like we kind of lost the the bigger picture of like okay what is what are we actually trying to do what are the kind of other issues that this is intersecting that maybe we could also address at the same time um but i i feel your frustration for sure staff estimated only 55 percent of riders were paying fares last year and the time says that at some points in the 2010s that figure got up as high as 95 percent of people paying so i'm curious what the secret sauce was there or why that changed I wonder if it is that we stopped doing fair enforcement during the pandemic. Yeah. And, and it just that, all bets were off. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, I totally agree. You give a mouse you. a cookie. 
<laughs> Give a mess a cookie, everybody's taking the train for free. Yeah. Also, inflation, you know, like, I mean, a gallon of milk, a gallon of gas, like, if you don't have to pay that, you know, 275 or three bucks. Yeah, chips away. Yeah, chips away at it. Chips away at it. Yeah. All right. One last thing before we go, we have got to talk about the New Year's Eve fireworks show at the Space Needle. As usual, the weather (laughs) didn't cooperate, and we ended up with a smoky spectacle. It just wasn't windy enough to move stuff out of there. My heart went out to the video director who was trying (laughs) to call the shots to capture this thing for TV. Man, that poor person. On yeah. Reddit, someone called it the Seattle Smoke Show. Which <laughs> yeah, I watched the live broadcast from my New Year's Eve party that I host every year, and I could feel the panic in the producer who was going through all the camera angles, trying to find one where you could see the fireworks. <laughs> but it was <laughs> just smoke. What yeah. do you think, Jazz? Do you even watch? Uh, yeah, actually, I mean, I grew up in Redmond, um, and so it was like really a part of the Kaimig family tradition to watch the Space Needle New Year's Eve show on King 5. And I will say, if it ever goes right, I'm actually disappointed because I think part of the appeal <laughs> is how ridiculous and like, you know, like usually the music is off or like there's, you know, wind or it's like foggy and so it was always really fun for us. Like, we would just make fun of it the whole time as a family. And I feel like that's a tradition I keep up um, in, into my adulthood. So uh, I watched it actually from a friend's apartment who it looked like her window looked directly at the Space Needle. And so we we're like, oh, sick. Like, we don't have to go to like a crowded bar. You know, we can drink at home. It'll be really great. And then it was like so cloudy uh, and we could actually oh. see the... I think people were popping off fireworks at like Cal Anderson. We could see those like way better than the, the Space Needle, which was kind of wild, but it was it was funny. Oh man, yeah. Well, there's also the drone show. Mm-hmm. You know, you can yeah. That, that doesn't generate any smoke. Maybe we should just switch to drones. That's what I thought too, because the drones actually looked cooler mm-hmm. in the smoke and the fog. They were kind of glowing and maybe it's just drone technology has advanced while I wasn't looking but I thought they looked really good I feel like the drones add a dystopian element to (laughs) the show though because you know that they sound like yeah and I that noise better than fireworks for a lot of people and also animals we need a couple years to kind of experiment with some different things I think here's my pitch I recently learned that uh, Boise I think it's Boise, oh. somewhere in Idaho. They do a potato drop, like I... the ball drop, and then they have a bunch <laughs> of fireworks. But maybe our new Seattle tradition should be like a giant salmon falling from the sky. <laughs> yeah. An apple. The Ivers annual salmon <laughs> toss at the <laughs> Exactly. I think that could be really cool. Yeah, definitely cuts down on like the noise element of everything and like the environmental element. And it's campy, which is great. (laughs) Best way to bring in the new year, I think. All right. Well, for people who still want to go out and celebrate New Year's Eve, but, you know, are going to give up on the Space Needle, what is the next best New Year's Eve plan? Mine is 9.15 in bed asleep. No, I think (laughs) that's it, actually. (laughs) Yeah, that's the right answer. No, my, my advice to everyone is starting now, Try to make a friend with a rooftop, okay? You spend the next 11 Mm. months 
scamming your way into a friend group that has really great access to a rooftop in Queen Anne or Capitol Hill or East Lake. And then you can secure the New Year's Eve invite come uh, December 2024. And there you go. It's free, probably. And you can bring your own snacks. So that's that's my advice to everyone. It's all about the long game, Jazz Kymig. We are going to leave it there. Jazz Kymig is a freelance arts reporter. Claire McGrain is a producer here on Seattle Now. Thanks again, you two. Thanks. Thanks. Good to see you, Jazz. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. We can only make this show with your support. Thanks so much for donating to KUOW. There is a link in the show notes. Today's episode was produced by Vaughn Jones. Our production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Claire McGrain, and Jenny Cecil Moore. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you Monday.